0: Welcome to the SSPX Podcast. Over the next five days, we'll be revisiting five lectures given by Father Daniel Theiman, the Rector of Holy Cross Seminary in Australia, about the history of the Society of St. Pius X. These were given on the occasion of the 50th anniversary of the SSPX in November 2020. Today's lecture is on the foundation of the Society by Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre in 1970 as he was facing the decimation of traditional worship and traditional theology. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear faithful, as many of you must already know, this year marks the 50th anniversary of the Society of St. Pius X. And I think it would be worth our time to, to consider some of the chief events, some of the most important events in the society's history, and that for a couple of reasons. First of all, to, to thank God for, for what he has done for us. Certainly many of us, uh, if not all of us here present, can, can point to the society as uh, being the chief vehicle of grace in our lives. And we certainly want to thank God for his goodness and be encouraged by, by his kindly providence towards us in this time of, of crisis in the church. But also we want to try to to take away some lessons from the society's history, because after all, God brought about this work uh, acting through real people by giving graces to real people and, and using them as instruments to bring about the designs of his mercy. And so we want to understand a little bit how God has worked and so that we can become uh, cooperators to to move this 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 work of tradition forward. We want to try to understand so that we can profit from the graces that God will give us as He has given them to others in these times. So where to begin? Where do we begin the society's history? Well, we could choose many different points of time. I will choose to to begin the story on Holy Thursday of 1968. A Holy Thursday, an appropriate day to begin, as we know that is the the day that our Lord instituted the Holy Mass, as well as the the Catholic priesthood. So our story begins on Holy Thursday, 1968, and it begins with a layman, a young man named Alphonsus Padroni, who was uh, on that day, Uh, doing what many young men do. He was uh, in a cafe and it was in a little Swiss village and he's sitting in his cafe sipping his cuppa and across the room he hears a rather arrogant voice uh, a businessman uh, talking about his latest project and he's talking about how he is going to be acquiring a certain property and he's going to uh, put on that property a nightclub, a hotel, a restaurant, and he has big plans for this property. And Alphonsus is shocked and, and horrified to realize that the property that this businessman has in mind for his new venture is nothing other than ecom. Econ being a religious house in the care of the, the, the canons of St. Bernard. You, you will have heard, of course, of this famous St. Bernard dogs who are trained in the, the Alps to, to, to rescue travelers who are lost in, in avalanches. The, the canons of St. Bernard having uh, this apostolate of, of hostels to, to welcome travelers and pilgrims making their way through the Alps. And this property of Econ had been first given to the canons of St. Bernard in 1302. And to think that it would be handed over now to a secular and frankly a disreputable purpose was something that really troubled this, this young Swiss man, Alphonsus Padroni. And so he, he contacts his brother, he contacts three other friends, and they, they pool their resources and on the 31st of May. So the feast, of the Queenship of our lady, these five men buy econ. And they said that for them, cone had a religious vocation. It was like a, a person with a religious vocation and they were not ready to give up on this, this sacred piece of property. They did not know, of course, what they were going to do with it. Now that same month, May of 1968, uh, famous, uh, some of you may may already know or may even remember, May 1968, famous for the student protests, the communist protests that took place uh, throughout uh, much of Europe during that month. And during that month, while these protests are going on, uh, at the French Seminary in Rome, even a communist flag was hung outside from the French Seminary, showing you how how serious this this movement was. And there were a group of seminarians at this French Seminary uh, who obviously could could see the writing on the wall, and they they wanted to to find a place where they could receive the kind of traditional formation for the priesthood that they were looking for and which they were clearly not going to receive at the French seminary in Rome. And so this group of seminarians, they seek out Archbishop Lefebvre. And they say, Your Grace, we we have a very big problem. Uh, We do not know where to turn. Can you please help us? So Archbishop Lefebvre, he... He begins thinking about his various contacts and what he knows about various institutions, and he knows that the University of Fribourg is still fairly conservative. So he says to these seminarians, look, I think I can find a little arrangement for you. We will obtain a house near the University of Fribourg. We will find a way for you to live a kind of common life. Uh, religious life with some, some community prayer at various times of the day and daily mass. And, and at least you will have a sort of safe refuge to return to um, when you have finished your classes uh, at the end of the day at the University of Freiburg. And so this is the initial solution. And so the, the arena of activity shifts from Rome to Switzerland and at the end or the the uh the latter half at least of 1969 the first nine seminarians um, come to this house and they enroll in the university amongst those nine seminarians uh bishop atticiata mallari one of those nine so this works for a little while however it's not a permanent solution because in time the university of Fribourg begins to slip and to to follow the same current of thought as as every other university and seminary at the time. And so the the seminarians begin pressuring the archbishop, saying that, okay, this was not a bad stopgap solution, but a real seminary is needed. It's about this time that these five laymen who have this property, find out about this french archbishop who has a sort of modest project going trying to be a bit the protector of these seminarians who are looking for a real catholic priestly formation and so these five laymen they approach the archbishop and they say your grace i think we have a solution for you so the archbishop accepts the property and in september of 1970 cone opens its doors. But this is not yet even a complete solution to the problem, because even if now there is a seminary, a stable uh, seminary environment for the seminarians, the question still remains, what is going to become of them after their ordination? And one seminarian expresses himself very candidly to the Archbishop. He says, it is inevitable that we must form a congregation because they know, these young seminarians, they know what is waiting for them back in their home diocese, and that they will not be welcomed and they will certainly not be allowed to practice their priesthood in the manner in which they have been formed to practice it. The Archbishop at this time is 65 years old. He is at retirement age and certainly no one has earned his retirement more than Archbishop Lefebvre at this point with his decades of missionary work in Africa, his decades of educating priests and being uh, a very active uh, missionary bishop. Um, and the superior general at one time of his congregation, the Holy Ghost Fathers, not to mention his heroic work fighting the modernists at the Second Vatican Council. If there's anyone who has earned his right to step aside and to not undertake a major work, but to simply retire quietly, it is Archbishop Lefebvre. The archbishop says, I will leave this decision in the hands of of Bishop charriere the local bishop, if he thinks that this is a work that must be undertaken, I will accept, I will give in and I will found a congregation. But if not, I won't. I will see the local bishop and his input, his perspective as being the voice of providence. So the Archbishop goes to see Bishop Charriere, and to the Archbishop's surprise, the bishop is as enthusiastic as that seminarian was. He says, yes, your grace, this must be done. You know how things are going in the church. I will improve. I will approve enthusiastically this foundation of a congregation for the training of priests. And so on the 1st of November 1970, Bishop Charriere gives his approval. And four months later, which is a very, very short time, in fact, the Society of Saint Pius X receives its letter of encouragement from the sacred congregation of the clergy. It's a very short time. Normally, Rome would allow more time to elapse to see how the congregation develops before giving any encouragement. But the archbishop had to wait a mere four months. And so here we are in 1970 with the Society of Saint Pius X founded. Now the lessons that we can draw from this little beginning of our great story is the importance on the one hand of having a great generosity and on the other hand, having a great docility to Providence. If we look at the layman who begins our story, Alphonsus and his friends, we see them stepping up with a great generosity. They know that there is some evil to be averted, there is some good to be done, and they step up and they do what is necessary at great financial risk to themselves. They do not know what they are going to do with this land, with this buildings, with this sacred spot. They do not know, but they know that something must be done. And so they act quickly, They act generously and then they wait and then they wait. They will be docile to Providence. They will see what God has in mind. For the archbishop, we might say the two things run in the opposite order. The archbishop is at first very docile. He's very slow to do more than is needed. The seminarians come, they have a problem, And the Archbishop first proposes a solution which is very humble, very simple, nothing grandiose. He will do the minimum to solve the immediate problem at hand, and then he will wait to see what God has in mind. But after waiting, when it becomes clear that there is a need, a need that is serious and a need that only he can fulfill, he responds generously. Then he says, yes, I will step up. I will do what is required. We have to be realistic that these two qualities of soul, generosity, docility to providence, naturally speaking, they are opposed to each other. By nature, we will tend to one or the other. We will be one of those people who is very quick to step up, who sees a problem and immediately steps up and says, I will take this situation in hand. Something must be done and no one better than me to do it. Or we will be one of those people who is inclined rather to wait to let the situation clarify itself. Perhaps, perhaps we even hope it will resolve itself without us needing to do anything to bring out, to bring about that resolution. By nature, we are inclined to one or the other. And it is only grace. It is only a supernatural spirit that is able to harmonize these two naturally opposed qualities of soul. And that is simply the way we will notice that grace always works. If we look at our Lord himself, of course, meek and humble of heart, the gentlest of men, and yet the most zealous for the glory of his father, for the salvation of souls. On the one hand, our Lord is meek. He does not put himself forward. He is humble. And on the other hand, he is the most public of figures and zealous and courageous against the evils of his time and against the, uh, you might say, the uh, worldly perspectives of the religious men of his day. And this is how it must be for us. It is not enough, it is not enough for us to simply follow the natural tendency of our character. For us to be faithful disciples of our Lord, we must rely on grace. We must find a way to harmonize what is naturally Opposed, And for that to happen, we have to mortify our nature. If grace is going to be allowed to do its work, if grace is going to be allowed to expand in our soul and to to reconcile and harmonize what nature cannot, then nature must be mortified so that grace is free to take the lead. And I will emphasize here as well, that even what is good in us must be mortified. Not only what is evil, that is clear, that's clear, but even our good qualities must be brought under the control of grace. They must be made to submit to the demands of grace. And so even there, we must reign in and cannot allow our temperament, even our good qualities to run amok in our life. But this is our great task in life, is to allow the life of our Lord, that life of grace so abundant in him, which reconciled everything, to allow that life to expand in our soul. So let us, as we go through these moments, these chief moments in the history of the society, as we see the work of grace in real people, let us renew, our zeal. Let us renew our, our commitment to mortify what is natural in us, that the grace of God may live in us, and we might be useful servants of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you for listening to and watching the SSPX Podcast. More is available at sspxpodcast.com. Please don't forget to share this episode and the podcast itself with someone who you think might enjoy it. Until next time, thank you for listening and God bless you.